book of Mark, chapter 10. And I just want to read to you a few verses from there. And before I do, I just want to thank you for allowing us to be here this very special weekend. It's been a real blessing and encouragement to us and the hospitality of uh, Pastor Cliff and Alwyn in their home has been tremendous, and uh, we really thank them. Thanks for, for inviting us to come and seeing this great thing, uh, this great project that you've been on with here. And, uh, and it's good to catch up with Kevin as well. We haven't seen him for many years, and uh, Hazel, and just, just a real blessing just to see what God is doing right away across your three congregations. It's a, a very, very exciting time, and the best is yet to come. Amen? Got to believe that for us as Christians, life's got to get better. We've been changed from one degree of glory into another. The Bible says a kingdom just keeps on coming. Jesus will build his church. So it's got to happen. So we should be living in a constant state of expectancy of good things to take place. Amen? Yeah. Of all people in the world, we are the world's greatest optimists. Yes? All right, why don't you just turn and tell somebody, come on, believe what he's telling you tonight. Come on, believe what he's telling you. All right, it's <laughs> we head back to Cardiff this evening. When we leave here, we'll be driving back uh, from the, the north, heading south. It's good it's downhill, so we'll get home quicker. Uh, and uh, we'll leave the, hopefully leave this cold weather behind us uh, and get back to where there's a little bit of sun and a little bit of warmth and about eight degrees lower, uh, higher than it is up here. But... Uh, how you survive in winter up here, I do not know. But never mind. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's been good to be with you. Turn, if you would, as you say, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. And uh, I want to read to you just a, a few verses about, to be honest, he's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, I, I, and he's not really probably one of the most well-known, or the, he's certainly not one of the most prominent. He's not one of the great heroes. He's not one of the great giant killers. He's not one of these guys who comes forward with great steps of faith or performing great miracles or, or has, you know, a great story to tell in the likes of David or Abraham or, or Daniel or any of those sort of things. But for me personally, he's one of my favorite characters uh, because as I look at this little story we read about him, it's at the end of Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, uh, about this guy called Bartimaeus. I, I, I'm greatly encouraged by him, and, and he really cheers me up, Bartimaeus, as I read his story. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm encouraged because, you know, Bartimaeus, you know, his, his, his name simply means son of Timaeus. So the Bible doesn't even record what his name is. He's just a son of Timaeus. That's what Bartimaeus means. So he doesn't even tell you what his name is. He's a completely unknown, a bit like me. Oh, come on, he's a bit like you as well, isn't he? And he's sitting in a situation that he doesn't really want to be in. His life is not what he would have ever hoped it to be. We'll read the story and you'll see in just a moment. So the Bible doesn't even identify him. It doesn't even give him credence to name him in Scripture. He's always going to be remembered throughout eternity as the Word of God as the son of Timaeus. And he's blind. And it seems as though he's been blind all of his life. He's sitting at the roadside and he's begging. But then an opportunity comes his way. And I like Bartimaeus because his life changes. Some things take place in this story that turn things around. And how he begins is not how he ends. He actually comes to receive, I believe, what he's believing for. He has his vision. And, I, I, and I'm believing for my vision. I'm believing not just for natural sight, but I'm believing for my vision to be fulfilled. And I want to encourage you guys tonight to believe for your vision to be fulfilled. And that's why this little story of Bartimaeus should, should be a great encouragement to all of us. Because he's just an ordinary Joe. Well, it's an ordinary Bartimaeus, to be accurate. But he's just an ordinary Joe. He's just an ordinary person. With his life is full of difficulties and troubles and despair and all of the things that life contains. And yet, how we pick up the story as we read about him is not how we leave off the story with him. Some things take place and 
Nothing is ever the same for him again. You know, this could be that night for you. This could be that night for you. This day for Bartimaeus began like any other day. He's just at the roadside begging. He's doing what he does every single day. But suddenly this day, something happened. And everything became different. And I'm believing for those sort of days. That this day can be different. This day can make a difference in my life. That will affect my future and how I journey from this moment on. God is able to do those things. And I want your faith to be encouraged tonight. That even as you read some of these things. And we talk about some of these, these things that I see in this life. To me of this great man. This great man, because it may not be significant in the event of world things, but it's significant in the event of his world. His world is changed. I want my world to be changed. I want your world to be changed. And so when I read this, I'm encouraged by Bartimaeus. Let's read it together, shall we? Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and verse 46. And this is the last time that I'll be with you this weekend, so I'm going to be, oh, ages (laughs) <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> I know, you've got to get back for the X Factor. I know some of you are desperate. You, you've <laughs> See, was that a word of knowledge or, or just... No, no, no just... <laughs> I'm married to an addict of the X Factor. It's really sad. But never mind, yeah. Well, it's better than jungle get me out of here. At least... I think your pastor's addicted to that one. Uh, I think Cliff's addicted to that one, and, and that's really sad, that one is. But anyway, we'll be, you'll be home before X Factor, unless you get stuck into the food. It was really good last night, wasn't it? It was really nice. So I'm looking forward to a little snack before we head home. Uh, verse 46. Speaking of Jesus and the disciples, it says, Then they, that's Jesus and the disciples, they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. Can I just break in there just for a moment? Just read what it says. It says, and they came to Jericho, and then it says they were leaving the city. They, it's up there. Oh, fantastic. They, I can see that a bit better. I don't need me menopausals on. So it says they came to Jericho. And then as he went out of Jericho, he came in and he went out. It doesn't say what happened. I wonder why. Maybe it's because it's none of our business. I say that sometimes because, you know, when God moves in certain places, we think it's our business. And it's not. It's only our business about what God does amongst us. Not what God does somewhere else whether it's Australia or Manchester or Liverpool or America or whatever, we could think, oh, is this God God's doing this? Da, 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 da. It's none of our business. That's why he doesn't tell us here. I don't know what took place, but something did, I presume. But God doesn't tell me because he doesn't feel it's my business to know. And I think if more Christians have had that sort of attitude, it would stop us being so critical about what God is doing in other places. It's not our business. We're just responsible for what God does amongst us and responding to what God does where we are. So he came and he went. That's another lesson there that God comes and goes. He comes and he goes. Jesus came to Jericho and he left Jericho. I think there are times in church life when we know that he's here all the time, but the times when he's here, then he goes. And we need to make the most of the times when he's moving amongst us. Let's not miss the opportunities that are there. And so this guy, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, he's sitting by the roadside begging. And it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to shout. Any pacemakers in this room tonight? No? Good. Jesus! (laughs) She needs a pacemaker. She hadn't got one, but she needs one now. (laughs) Jesus! Son of David! 
Have mercy on me. And listen, all you religious people. It says many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Don't shout in church. But he shouted all the more. Are you ready? Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Father, tonight as we read through these verses of your scripture, I pray that by your Holy Spirit you will help us not just to hear and understand with our heads, but Lord, to hear and understand with our hearts. Let it not be something that is just cerebral, but God, I pray that rather than information, that tonight we will receive inspiration and most of all revelation concerning your word, the things that you want to say to me. And I pray that tonight, Lord, you'll use this simple word, these simple messages, Lord, tonight in this place to speak to us as individuals, and I pray you'll use it to speak to this fellowship, Lord God, the lessons that we can learn from this man whose name we don't even know, but Lord, whose testimony and example is recorded for all of eternity. Lord, it's here for the purpose. I pray that tonight you might reveal something of that purpose to us, that Lord, that we can learn from this example, and Lord, the change that takes place in his life could take place in our life individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to bring you tonight just a few things from this story from Bartimaeus. You can call them little lessons, you can call them examples, you can call them whatever you want to call them, but there are various things that make an application both to us as individuals, lessons that we'll learn from as individuals, but actually I also think that, that there'll, there'll be things that will encourage you as a fellowship, and so, so I would like you to look at it from both perspectives, about you as an individual, but also you as a local fellowship, and about how this man's testimony can be an example or a lesson or an encouragement for you. And I've just got a few things. I don't know how many we'll get through because of time. What time do we finish, guys? I won't ask these because these will be nice and say, oh, whenever you're through, whenever you're through. But come on, what time do you finish, church? I know you've not been meeting very often in this building. It's only the second time, so you might not. Uh, so we could set a tradition tonight, couldn't we? Nine o'clock, we could really. So, so come on, unless you want me to go on and on, give me a time. Half past seven. Hey, <laughs> I was going to cast the demons out then, but we're at half past seven. All right, are you a Baptist? No, half past seven. All right, half past seven plus half an hour. All right, so we'll we'll be through in a little while. All right, so but don't laugh or talk too much because it's my time that you're taking up when you do this. All right, so. <laughs> I just, these things, they're just encouragements for you. One of the first things I see in this story is this. Is, as you look at this story, you see that this man was blind and he's begging. And the, what that says to me is this, that neither the pain of the past nor the problems of the present need stop you from a faith-filled future. Not the pain of your past or even the problems of your present need stop you from a faith-filled future. This man was blind. He was born blind. He was a beggar. He'd always been blind. He'd always been a beggar. Life had never been good for him. I don't know what stories, what pain, what scars he had he carried in his life from being a little kid who was blind in this sort of a culture. That not only did he have a physical stigma about being blind, but in Jewish culture there would be a, a spiritual stigma, a religious stigma about him being blind. And you know, you know about when the disciples came to Jesus and said, you know, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, all this sort of stuff that they'd be saying about this little kid. 
He's glowing up, not just with the physical scars of his blindness, but maybe the emotional scars that went with that as well. He's glowing up without state aid, social security, or or some dog that would lead him around and help him. He's glowing up in desperate situations, and I'm sure that he got lots of stories to tell, but we see in this story that he hears that it's Jesus, and he wasn't going to let the pain of his past or the problems of his presence stop him from a faith-filled future. And I want to ask you tonight, are you living your life according to the pain of the past, the problems or the present, or are you living your life according to your expectations of your future? See, I know lots of Christians that live their life according to the pain of the past. I know they are because all I hear them do is nurse and rehearse what happened to them. They live with that pain continually with them. They live every day in the pain of their past. So they live their life in the pain of the present, the things that are going on at this moment and at this time. But I want you to be encouraged tonight from this little blind man, Bartimaeus. He wasn't going to allow the pain of his past or even the problems of his present. Because even on that day, he's blind and he's sitting by the roadside begging. But he wasn't going to allow those things to affect his expectations of the future. And neither should we. We are the people of God. Jesus, God, the Bible says that I've got no plans to do you harm, only plans to do you good. Plans to give you hope and plans to give you a future. If that's the case, how are you evidencing your expectations today? Uh Uh-oh. You see, faith is a doing word. Faith is a verb. It is a verb, isn't it? Doing, yeah. Faith is a, as, sometimes we use faith as an adjective, but, but actually faith is a verb. It's a doing word. And our faith needs to be evidenced. And if we are believing that our tomorrows are better than our yesterdays or our present, how are we evidencing our expectations? So in this fellowship today, I challenge these guys at the front. How are you evidencing, this is to you guys, how are you evidencing your expectations that this church is going to grow? Because if you believe in it's going to go, then you're going to have to be training leaders, life group leaders, children's workers, youth workers, whatever, whatever is in your heart and what you see in your vision. You need to be doing it now, not then. You need to be evidencing what you are believing for. Some of you may be here tonight and you're believing that God's going to use you in missions. Well, how are you evidencing your expectations of that? What language are you learning? Well, are you waiting until you go and then you'll learn it then? Spend three years on the mission fields doing nothing but learning the language when you could have learned it here. How are you evidencing your expectations? You see... How you are living is important. This man was not going to allow the pain of his past. He wasn't going to allow the the sob stories, the things that he'd been through to rob him of his future. He wasn't going to allow where he was today to rob him of his future. It doesn't really matter what you've been through or where you are today. So what steps are you taking into your tomorrows that's important? I'm encouraged by this, you know, this guy, because he understood something about... Well, in in New Zealand, apparently, I've read about it, that that in New Zealand they have a thing, you may have heard about it, I think they have it in other places, but it was one in New Zealand that that caught my eye. They have have something called an Ironman race. You've never been any, Kevin. (laughs) But they have an Ironman race. And and this Ironman race, apparently, I think it's made up of, of three parts. I think one part is that they, they, they've done a marathon or something, and 26 miles or whatever it is, or they've done some distance anyway through the desert or through the mountains, whatever. and when they finish that, they jump on a bicycle and they cycle for however many miles. And then when they finish that, they, they get taken out into the sea and they have to swim in to shore. And so, whatever they are in the race, so if they're, they're first on the, the marathon, they get on the bike first and they've got a lead. 
And then if they're first then, they get on the boat first and he takes them out and then all their times are added up and they, they release from the boat at whatever time that they're leading by. But there's something wonderful about this Ironman race because in New Zealand, there's, what happens is that they don't worry too much about where they are in the race from after the marathon and after the cycling. Because when they go into the water... You can be last getting into the water, but you can be the first to hit the shore. Because there is what they call, they have this, this freak wave. That, that at certain times when this race is on, this wave sort of springs up and the wave can spring up. And if you can catch the wave, you can ride the wave in. And if you catch it, it can take you past all the guys that have run faster and pedaled harder than you are, and it can catch you right past them, and you can come to the winning line first. And the people in this Ironman race have got a name for this wave. They call it grace. You see, it's amazing what grace can do. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter where you are today. When you allow grace to take your life, grace can take you to places you could never dream of. Grace can cause you to do things that you could never imagine. Grace could cause you to to reach places and reach people and achieve things that you would never have dared to attempt. But if you allow the pain of your past or the problems of your present to rob you, you'll never achieve it. See, some of those people could say, oh, well, I'm last. I'm not going to bother with this leg. I'm not going to bother getting in the water. But until you begin to step out from where you've been and just allow grace to take you, and tonight that wave of grace is available for everybody that's willing to catch it. Because it's not about competition with others. It's about God taking you where he wants you to be. And it doesn't matter where you... In fact, the Bible says this, that he is able to work all things together for good that's the good and the bad that's the all thing you know the Greek, what the Greek meaning is for all don't you all, absolutely he's able to work all things the good and the bad and he can work them for your good it can take you on that wave of grace beyond where you are that's what I see with this man called Bartimaeus he didn't sit there and say well I can't see well, I'm down here in the dust. He allowed the wave of grace to catch him and to take him where he could never go himself. The second thing that I want to encourage you to do is this, from this little story is get noticed by God. Get noticed by God. Now, I understand now some of you uh, theologians and, and every, I know God sees everybody. I understand all that and God sees where we are. I know all of that. But let me say it again. Get noticed by God. I don't want to encourage this church. Get noticed by God. In other words, learn to stand out from the crowd. Learn to stand out from the crowd. Get noticed by God. You see, Bartimaeus was sitting in a standing crowd. But he got noticed. Bartimaeus is sitting. I mean, you're the sitting crowd, but Bartimaeus is sitting in a standing crowd. See, some of you can't see me because I'm down in the gutter, insignificant. How am I, without this microphone, I, I mean, you can't see me, but the microphone helps me to get noticed. Well, that's what Bartimaeus did. He was sitting in a standing crowd, but he made sure out of all the people that were around about, all the needs that were surrounding Jesus, he got noticed. Jesus! He got noticed. And sometimes we live our lives and we never make sure that we get noticed by God. Now hear me, I know he sees everything. I understand all of the theology behind it. But if you really believe that, why do you often think it happens to everybody but you? 
God sees all their needs, but he never sees yours. Get noticed by God. How do you get noticed by God? Well, there's a great lesson from Bartimaeus. Shout. Shout. Lift up your voice to God. In fact, Jesus told that story, didn't he, about that woman who'd got an issue. And he kept, she kept coming. Hey! Hey, wake up! I've got a problem! Shout. Lift up your voice to God. Sometimes we complain inwardly, but sometimes we need to complain outwardly. To call upon the Lord. How do you get noticed by God? Well, shout. Shout, draw his attention to yourself. Exercise faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please him. If you want to get noticed by God, exercise some faith. Now, you can only exercise faith to the level that you've got, but whatever you're at, exercise faith. Just exercise, wherever it's at. Because faith attracts God. This man, you see, he's, he's, he's invisible. He's a blind man sitting by the roadside in this massive crowd of people. There's a danger he could be trodden underfoot. He's on narrow streets, sitting there as this crowd is coming past. And he hears that Jesus is there, and he's determined that he is going to get noticed. So he shouts. But in his shouting, what he's doing is simply exercising faith. The Bible says that the righteous will live by faith. Yes? As Protestants, we believe that, don't we? But most of us actually believe that the righteous get saved by faith. And we'll live according to our own ability. But the Bible doesn't say that. See, we don't just get saved by faith, which we do, but we actually call to live by faith. That means we should be living, you should be living, that if God does not show up, as you step out of your boat, you are sunk. Yet how many of us live like that? We live within our own ability circle. In fact, when things happen to us that cause us and force us to trust God, we get upset. Because we want to live within our control zone. We want to live in our management circle. We want to live according to our own ability so we even question about our giving and everything. Well, if I give this, how have I got... We're living within... We're not dependent on God, on faith. In our church back home, we've got lots of clever people. I don't know what they're doing in our church, but they've got lots of clever people. Lots of graduates and PhDs and all. They've got more letters after their name than I've got in my name. And, and, and they're really... And, and I challenge about this principle. It's something I'm passionate about as Christians. We're called to live by faith. And I challenge them that, you know, I believe that the cure of AIDS, cure for AIDS is in the church. I believe it. I believe that the financial issues and crises that's hitting, particularly Western Europe, but the answer's in the church. You see, God the Holy Spirit, as Pentecostals, you see, we, we are so, so shrinking in our divinity. We rejoice in being filled with the Holy Spirit because we can speak in tongues and ooh, ooh, ooh. But we're talking about the third person of the Trinity who when the Father spoke the word, the Spirit called everything that is to come into being. The Creator. That Holy Spirit now dwells in us. And the best we can do is shundai kundai. Now hear me, I'm not minimizing. Please hear me. But we have limited the creativity of the Holy Spirit. And yet, he hasn't changed. 
The same Holy Spirit that was there in the beginning when God said is here today. And we say he's dwelling in us and yet we live such monochrome lives when God has come to fill us with technicolor. And why don't we let him loose? Because we don't live in faith. And that's why I challenge our people. When you go to the hospital tomorrow or you go to the lab or you go to wherever it is that you work, go in tomorrow and go and see your boss. Go and see your line manager and say, what's the hardest project we've got on? And when he tells you, or when she tells you, say, I'd like to volunteer for it. That job that everybody's avoiding. Go and volunteer for it. And then begin to pray. (laughs) Say, God, if you don't show up, I'm sunk. Because it's just a little exercise to try and live, not dependent upon what we can do, but what he can do. See, often even our dreams are too small. Because we live within the dreams of what we can achieve, but we shouldn't be living about what we can achieve, but what he can achieve. He says he's able to do exceeding abundantly above and beyond anything, anything, anything we could ever ask or even imagine. And yet we live such small dreams. Let me encourage you to live by faith. Live by the fact that if God does not show up tomorrow, you're sunk. That if God does not come to your rescue, you're sunk. That if God doesn't provide, you're sunk. Now you might go under a few times, but I'll guarantee you, you'll never drown. Because God always responds to faith. How do you get noticed by God? Be faithful in the small things. Be faithful in the small things. The Bible says, well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the small. So I'm going to give you much. If you want to get noticed by God, just be faithful in the small things. Just be faithful in little things. Whatever those little things are, just be faithful in them. You know, the great things of destiny are born from faithfulness in little things. See, God loves faithfulness because it's after his own nature. And when he sees people who are faithful in little things, whatever it is, whether it's you come and you clean or you come and you put out the chairs or you come and turn on the lights or you put on the heating or you make the... T- and it's just your responsibility. And, and let me tell you, can I say something? You might con- run contrary to, to, to the philosophy of this church and I apologize if it does, but all of those things, they are not your ministry. They are simply things that you do to help this happen. Your ministry is what you do outside. Because again, we've confused ministry with making church happen. See, if we only had ministry that included preaching, singing, playing an instrument, or teaching Sunday school... There's going to be a lot of people warming pews. Now, those are the things that help to make the event take place. But our ministries are out there. That's why if you were here yesterday, and I said there's a whole community here, and there's ministries for all of you. How many of you can bake cakes? You put your hand up, love. (laughs) Come on, seriously, how many of you can bake cakes? I want to tell you, God can use it as a ministry. How many, how many of you have got one of them petrol mowers? You know, that just don't... Anybody got one of them? Oh, we're up north, aren't we? We've still got shears up here. <laughs> oh, no, you put the sheep out up here, don't you? That's how you cut the grass up here. <laughs> electric mowers. Oh, he's got an electric mower. <laughs> then that's a ministry. Because there could be an old person or the single mom down the road. And her glass is this eye. Because she can't do it, doesn't know how to do it. Just go and be a blessing. It's a ministry. If you can bake, I want to tell you, it's a ministry. Wouldn't it be great if some of those lonely people, you just turned up and said, I was just baking and I just thought I'd put another dozen in and just thought I'd bless you, bring you this. And then walk away. Because you're not doing it to win them, you're just doing it to love them. Because if you love them, you will win them. See, there's lots of ministries out there 
that are sitting unused in the body of Christ. Because we're burying our talents. Because we think the only place where ministry is performed is in church. This, is, this what I'm doing now, is not the ministry. Ephesians 4.11 says that this is to prepare God's people for the works of the ministry. I'm not in the ministry. You're in the ministry. My job is to prepare people for the ministry. To go out there tomorrow and be Jesus in your community. Just go and do good. See, forget the signs and wonders. Just go and do good. Signs and wonders will follow, but it begins with compassion. So be faithful in little things. We're not, we've, we've got to move on. Stay honest in heart. If you want to get noticed by God, stay honest in heart. Keep your personal integrity together. Stay honest of heart. Remember Nathaniel? He came to Jesus and Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. In you there's no guile. See, even before they'd ever met him or spoke to him, Jesus had noticed him. See, I think Jesus notices those people who are honest in heart because he's looking for people to trust. And I believe if you want to get noticed in God, walk in humility. Walk in humility. My wife's given me the first sign about finishing. She's just pointed to her watch. Right. I was telling the guys, she starts there like this, and then she goes like this, wind up, and then she goes like this. <laughs> so we've just had sign number one. <laughs> Humility. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Do you have the body shop up here, ladies? Yeah, you've heard of the body shop? Have you heard of the body shop? Yeah, the body shop. The body shop was founded by somebody called Anita Roderick. Some of you will know that. And and she began many years ago, in fact, 18 years ago, or probably more than that now, 21 years ago or something like that, with the body shop. She started with one shop, and she started it in Chelsea. In fact, she started it near the King's Road. Some of you are old enough to remember the significance of the King's Road in Chelsea. It was the place to be. It was a fashion centre. It was a pop centre. It was the real place to be. And she started her church, her, her shop, not church, her shop, near the King's Road. It wasn't quite on the King's Road. In fact, it was up a little lane and then up a little alley off the King's Road. And she realised that she had to get noticed because she was off the beaten track. She wasn't on, she was on the King's Road, people could see, but she'd got this little shop just up a little lane and then up a little alley and then her shop was there. And so what she decided to do was every morning she'd go out with these bottles of this perfume and she'd go down to the King's Road and she'd be pouring the perfume out on the King's Road. And then she'd walk from the King's Road up the little lane and she'd be spraying this perfume up the walls and everywhere, bottles of it, up the lane and then up the little alley till she got to her shop because she wanted to get noticed and she knew that as people the ladies walked along the king's road oh that smells like doesn't it dear oh it does doesn't it Joan oh where's it and the women began to follow the perfume trail till they got to her shop and she began, she began to get noticed now 21 years later she ended up with over 1800 shops in 60 countries Simply because she learned to get noticed. So get noticed by God. Church, get noticed by God. Do the things. Listen, the issue is not attracting people. The issue is attracting God. If you'll get noticed by God, God will draw the people. The third thing. So the pain of the past, get noticed by God. Seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. In verse 47... It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. He didn't know if he would ever get another chance. I don't know how he heard it was Jesus. But it says, when he heard it was Jesus, he seized the opportunity. He didn't know if ever Jesus was going to come this way again. And I want to encourage you guys, seize every opportunity. Seize every opportunity. Someone once said that the opportunity of a lifetime could only be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Seize the opportunities. Don't let things pass you by. 
Just turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. That's in the New Testament as well, isn't it? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter... I don't know, somewhere. Is it? Might not be, it's Ephesians. Where is it? I'm after... Yes, Ephesians chapter 5. I thought it was in there. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this. Verse 15. It says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. I've grown up in a generation of church that's read that verse like this, and maybe this is how you read it even now. Be very careful then how you live. Don't live as unwise. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, live as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are the evil. Live very careful because the days are the evil. Watch what you're doing because the days are the evil. Be very careful because the days are the evil. That's how the church that I grew up in operated. And I believe it's robbed us of lots of opportunities. Because I think the Apostle Paul is saying this. Hey, be careful, guys. Be careful how you live. Don't live as unwise, but live as wise. Make sure that you make the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. See, we look out at our society and we think how terrible it's this. People have forsaken God. And pe- no, no, this is a great day of opportunity. I want to tell you guys, people have a, great sen- a greater sense of God in this generation than they have, had done, have done for the last few generations. They don't like church, but they've got a growing awareness of God. There is a spiritual hunger. They've had the drink, sex, rock and roll. And they still know that there's a vacuum going on in their lives. They've sold out to consumerism. But all the stuff in the world still doesn't satisfy. And so they're turning for some spiritual answer. It may be the tarot cards or the fortune tellers or new ageism or whatever it may be. And it's a wonderful opportunity. It's a wonderful opportunity. Make the most of the opportunities. That's what this man, uh, Bartimaeus, did. Number four, don't allow the doubts of others to silence your desires. It says they told him to shush. (laughs) We'll be finished for eight, don't worry. Verse 48, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Learn to shout louder than the opposition. Don't allow the doubts of others to silence your desire. Don't allow the doubts and the unbelief of others to silence your dream. Shout louder than the opposition. See, just think about what the noises that would seek to drown you out. The noise of doubt and unbelief and criticism and negativity. All of those voices that surround us and ping in our antenna continually. These people there, this guy is blind and he's sitting by the roadside and he's shouting out to Jesus and they're all there saying to him, shut up! And most of the time we do. We have our dreams silenced. We have our hopes crushed. We allow the voices from without and the voices from within to tell us, oh, it was cheese. It's not really a dream. You had pizza last night. Oh, you're the whack job. That's never that. God's not in that. That's not. Yet you want to read some of the dreams that God gave to some people in the Bible. Don't allow the doubts of others to silence your desires. Number five, travel light. Learn to travel light. 
Oh, can I just say, church, can I just go back? Don't allow the doubts of others to silence your desires. Don't allow the fact that it's never been done in this town to stop you for believing. For 500 people? A thousand people? Just because it's never been done. What, so, so what's that got to do with it? Nobody had ever built an ark till Noah did. Just because it's never happened, what's that got to do? In fact, that should be spurring you on. Because somebody's got to. To have a light, verse 50. To have a light, it says he, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Learn to have a light. He threw off that which would hinder. He threw off his old identity. He wasn't focusing on what he had been. He wasn't focusing on what he was. He was focusing on what he would be. He didn't need the beggar's cloak any longer. He threw off that which would hinder. Tonight, what do you need to throw off? Maybe it's some attitudes. Maybe it's some fears. Maybe it's some habits. Maybe it's some traditions that you need to throw off because you've got to learn to travel light to go to the place that God wants you to be. Number six, never lose sight of the big picture. Church, can I say this to you? Don't lose sight of the big picture. Look at what it says in verse 51. Verse 51, it says this. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Now think about that for the moment. You're blind and you're the beggar. You're sitting by the roadside You're on your own. You have to make your way there every morning. You have to sit through the heat of the day, whatever the weather is. You've got to sit amongst the dust that's kicked up in your face. You've got to go through all that for the few pennies or whatever you might get at the end of the day. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I'm sure he could have said, well... I'd like one of them golden Labradors. Them little green jackets on. One of them, them little dogs you know, that just sort of guide me and take me. I'd like, I'd like one of them dogs. I'd like, I'd like some sort of bowl that actually was able to tell the difference between money being thrown into it and some washers being thrown into it and bottle tops. That when they throw them in, a hooter would go off and say, Cheapskate, cheapskate, when they throw coke pulls in instead of money. Or, or, or maybe he could have said, well, you know, I'd really like some sort of nice cushion and stuff because sitting on this curbstone all day long, it's no good for my... <laughs> it's no good for me. <laughs> it's no good sitting there all day long. He could have said any of those things and he would have been justified. But he said, what do you want me to do to you? And he says, I want to see. Church, never lose sight of the big picture. Sometimes we get caught up with so much stuff. We get caught up with so much stuff instead of seeing the big picture. That our job is simply to make Jesus known in this community. And yet we get caught up with stuff like what colours of walls are going to be and which way are the seats going to face and do we stand in worship like this or do we stand in worship like this do we have a guitar or do we have a piano we need to get a life he didn't forget the big picture the big picture is I want to see what's your big picture what was your big picture before stuff got in the way You know, our lives are filled with stuff. Some of it physical, some of it emotional, but our lives are filled with stuff. Ruth and I go to Texas on a regular basis, and and the first time we went, I was amazed when we went to Texas the the first time, and and we're going into Houston. And I I said to my friend, I said, what's all these these units? And there's all like these units. Some were big units, some were small units. And he says, oh, that's, that's where people keep the stuff. He said, what do you mean they keep the stuff? He says, well, they got all my stuff. They filled the garage and filled the loft 
but they've got that much stuff. They've got that many goods and stuff. They've got to have somewhere to store all of their stuff. I said, you're kidding. He says, no, no, no. It's just you hire one of them, and then you can put all the stuff you've bought, and not used, and you put it in there. I thought, flipping that yanks. Typical. Typical yanks. And then I noticed that we've got them at all now. Big yellow warehouse. Do you have them up here? Oh, no, you've got no stuff up north, have you? <laughs> God is full of them. These places you can go and store all your stuff. Because you've got so much stuff, you can't fit it in the shed and fit it in the garage and fit it in the attic. You've got to hire somewhere to put your stuff. And as church, often we can be like that. We focus so much on our stuff. And we lose sight of the big picture. We need a new reformation of deeds and not creeds, of works and not words. We've been too bound up with our stuff and we've taken our eyes off the big picture of life. And then finally, number seven. Remember that every step gained becomes new, a new starting point. It's never the destination. It says, Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road. He got his sight and then he followed. He didn't stay sitting. Now he was going on to something else. What he was believing for, what he was living for, what he was hoping for has now been achieved, but he didn't say, that's it, I'm content. Like the Apostle Paul says, I'm pressing on. I'm straining forward. What is the next? You know, whatever God wants to do in your life, it's not the destination. All it is is a new starting point for where God wants to take you to next. So let me encourage you, this is not the destination. Now, I know it's been a long journey. We haven't had a build, our own building for 18 years, so we understand the sense of relief that you can have in coming here. But let me tell you guys, if that's how you are, you'll die. This is not the destination. This is a stepping stone, and it's a great one, and you do need to celebrate it. But this is not it. You've arrived here for there. This is just a part of the journey to get you to where God wants you to be. Because actually, you need to be thinking now and starting to pray that these folks next door go. So you could get that building and that, that piece of... See, where are you going to put all your youth? Because you're already, he's already telling you you can't bring drinks up and down those stairs. Eh? What happens when you get a load of kids in? Eh? And they're in here. And they've got the Coke cans and they're spilling it on your nice new... There's a mark on that carpet there, Kevin. Somebody just dug the shoe on there. That could have been me just when I got down there. <laughs> so you're going to have somewhere to put your youth. You need to start playing about this building out here. How you can manage to put an extension up. Hello? Because you're only here until you get there. God's brought you here, but this is not the end. His eyes are opened, and he could have danced on the spot and said, that's it, this is great. I, but no, now he set off, and he followed Jesus to the next part of his journey. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Bartimaeus. I think he's a great man. He encourages me so much. Because I can learn from him so many things. Because often I feel I'm just like him. I'm a blind beggar on the side of the road. Got nothing, deserve nothing. But at times, God gives me opportunity to realize that Jesus is walking by. I don't want to miss it. I want to seize the opportunities that God gives me. I don't want to live my life sitting at red traffic lights. I want to live my life at green traffic lights. God wants to turn them red, fine, but I'm going to go through. I'm going to want to seize every opportunity he gives me. I want to give things a whirl. I want to live with adventure. I want to take some steps of faith. I want to live beyond my own ability. I want to be in that place. If God does not show up, I am sunk. 
I don't want to settle where I am. I want to be looking for the next step and the next place where God wants me to go. So church tonight, whether you're an individual or you as a congregation, read this little story about Bartimaeus again. See how the Holy Spirit can apply it to your life. Just before we close, let me just ask you, if you're here tonight and you know you're not light, your life is not right before God, you know that you've either never committed yourself to him, you've never asked him to forgive you your sins, you've never been born again, you've never really been a Christian as the Bible talks about it, but tonight you're saying, you know, I need to know more about this Jesus. Maybe you know that you've not been living right and maybe even just the fact that there's a new building here stirred something in you that maybe you need to get back on the path. If those things are you tonight, just while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, would you just slip up your hand very quickly? I don't know you, so I don't know where you're at. I don't know where your life's at. Maybe everybody here is on fire with God and everything's great. But just in case, if there's anybody here and you know that you just need to maybe put some things right with God, would you just slip up your hand, let me see. We'll get one of the staff guys here to, to speak with you afterwards. Anybody? Man or woman? Young person or old? Anybody at all? And Father, I just pray for this people tonight. I pray, Father, that you will stir their hearts You'll stir their desires. You'll encourage their dreams. You'll enlarge their capacity for you. I pray, Father, you'll expand their faith circle. I pray, Father, that as they look at this story of this man, Bartimaeus, who seems so insignificant, so dispensable, that, Lord, they'll learn some valuable truths from his life that they can apply to theirs. Help this people to be a people that seizes every opportunity that's before it that lives their life with a total dependence upon you. That, Lord God, that steps off from where they are into the next stage of the journey. Lord, that doesn't get silenced by the voice of negativity or criticism. Let them be a people who get noticed by you, Lord God, that, that do the things that attract your presence. And I pray you'll help them to live their life not according to the pain of their past or even their present, but help them to live, Lord, evidencing their expectations, putting into practice now, Lord God, the things that they are believing for. Will you just bless Kevin and Hazel, the guys that lead this work and the, the wider leadership team of uh, uh, Cliff and, and Alwyn and the other guys, Steve and, and, and all the other guys. God, I pray that you'll bless them and continue to give them wisdom and continue to let your favor be upon them, Lord God. And, and let the favor of men be upon them as they work with the council and all the agencies, Lord, to do good in this community. I pray that you'll continue to raise up men and women whose hearts are filled with love, gifts of mercy and compassion to be a blessing, Lord, to this society. Thank you for the time that we've had here. And again, Lord, I pray that some of the words that we've said, Lord, over this weekend would be good seed and bring forth a good harvest. And that which is just a chaff, let it be blown away. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks, Ray. Great word. Challenge. I wonder how big you think your God is. I'm most challenged by what Walt Disney said, he said, it all began with a mouse. It all began with a mouse. In other words, it doesn't matter how small it is, God can magnify it. I wonder what your dream is, what you believe God can do in your life, what we believe God can do through our lives as a fellowship. And again, the thing that really speaks to me and all those things are true is the fact that the Lord asked Bartimaeus, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? He said, I want to see. He was blind. 
I'm sure Jesus could tell he was blind. He asked the question, what do you want? So the, the obvious thought in Jesus' life would be, well, he needs to see. But he asked the question, what do you want? And Bartimaeus said, I want to see. He says, your faith has made you well. Father, I pray that you'll help us as individuals, as a congregation, to receive from you the things that you've spoken to us about over this weekend. The challenge is, as we know, the challenge in the days ahead is to appropriate, appropriate by faith those things you're calling us to do. We thank you, Lord, for Ruth and Ray and for their ministry to us. We pray you'll bless them abundantly. As they travel home, Lord, tonight, that you'll give them traveling mercies. And we pray that, Lord, in that fellowship that they are responsible for and leading, we pray that, Lord, in the days to come, that they shall experience a tremendous harvest. Pray you'll build your church there, Lord, in Cardiff. Do a great work through them, Lord, I pray. And, Lord, as we're all on a journey, we pray that their journey shall be one of favor and prosperity. Yes, and blessing. Because you're a great God. And so, Lord, bless them. Use them. Give them wisdom, Lord. Lead them by your spirit. What we pray for them, we pray for ourselves. So we thank you, Lord, for a great weekend. Pray a bless us now as we spend fellowship together. And Lord, whatever we have to face tomorrow, we pray we'll face it with you and with an expectation that you're with us and for us. We ask it in your lovely name. Amen.